In a world where a man loves movies and loves lists and keeps a list of his 100 favorite movies for over 30 years, what if he made his wife watch those movies in order? And what if he made her talk about it on a podcast? Would she like them? Would she hate them? Can this marriage possibly survive this podcast? Find out what will happen in a world called Craig's List. Okay, well, we're getting ready to record, so got to find Carla again. She seems to have disappeared. Uh, I know she's really been working a lot in her writing, so uh, it's very generous of her to, to give us some time to do this podcast. Moving into the office now. Oh, Carla seems to have printed up her uh, her script. <laughs> Let's see. All podcast and no play make Carla a dull girl. I don't know what this is exactly. Is this a poem? Or I thought she was working on a pilot script. Um, let's go. Let me see what's next. All podcast and no play make Carla a dull girl. I guess she's just kind of using repetition, rule of threes. You know, it's a good, good comedy rule of thumb, I think. Wait a minute. This only says all podcast and no play make Carla a dull girl. There's some formatting problems too. Like it's all over the map here. Like each page is kind of changing the formatting. Uh, oh, hey, hey, Carla. I, uh, what are you doing? I, uh, I just, uh, I saw that you printed out your script and it was just, I wonder if you wanted me to proof it for you or why are you in here? Uh, do you need some feedback? You need some notes on this script? I'm going to kill you. I feel like it's a little repetitive. <laughs> uh, all podcast and no play make Carla a dull girl. Good. Yeah. That's Is that- a nice mantra for me. <laughs> but we've committed to doing Craigslist spooky times for the month of October. Yep. And we've got a few more left. Can you handle that? Yeah, we're doing it. We're doing it. We're right here. We're recording. And it's a Thursday morning in Los Angeles. It's kind of gloomy and ha- Halloween. Like Halloween. Yeah. It feels spooky. <laughs> and today we're going to talk about some film adaptations off of the uh, author Stephen King. Yep. Such as The Shining. Yeah. Carrie. Yeah. Gerald's Game. Yeah. Those are the movies that we're going to do. Those are the movies we're going to do. Though maybe not the movies that you would expect us to do. (laughs) (laughs) Sissy Spacek's not in the Carrie that we did. Nope. And uh, Steven Weber's not in The Shining that we did. (laughs) (laughs) If they expected us to do the Steven Weber Shining, then that's a lot. (laughs) So we're not doing the Stephen King approved versions of his movies because he famously does not like the Stanley Kubrick Shining, which is why they made the TV one with Stephen Weber, which King had a lot more involvement in. And I don't know if he's against the Kimberly Pierce carry. But he definitely loved the Brian De Palma movie and thought it was a faithful adaptation of his book. Mm. And Gerald's Game, I don't know how he felt about it, but Let's I know that. Let's call him. <laughs> uh, should we call him up? Let's call him up. <laughs> Carla, what experience do you have with the works of one Stephen King? I don't have much experience. I mean, I've seen a lot of Stephen King movies, but. Not because they're Stephen King movies necessarily. You've never read a Stephen King book? I don't 
think so. I, I really don't think I have. No. Um, nope. Not that I can remember. <laughs> <laughs> but I've seen a lot of Stephen King movies. Like probably the first one that I saw was It when I was a kid. The, the TV series. version with Tim Curry. Yeah. I remember we watched my brother and I watched that all the time. And then I saw Misery when I was a kid, I, which I kind of wanted to rewatch, but maybe next year we just didn't have time. Um, and Pet Cemetery, the original one, was something I watched a lot as a kid. Okay, which was really scary from what I remember. I read probably fifteen Stephen King books in like a three-year period, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think, I think it was all high school too. So I've read. The Shining, The Stand, The Dead Zone, Firestarter, Cujo, Christine, Pet Cemetery, The Talisman, It, Misery, Night Shift, Different Seasons, Skeleton Crew. Uh, the last three are all short story compilations. So you were into it. I was into it. I was all in. And then I stopped reading him. And then I really have not gone back. <laughs> He's probably published 40, if not more so, books since then. The pa- we've been in this book club for the past couple of years where our goal is to read a certain amount of books at the end, by the end of the year. And then a couple of years ago, we were asked, like, what's what kind of books do you want to read this year? And I said, I want to read a Stephen King book this year. And I still didn't do it. <laughs> well, <laughs> they're so long. They are pretty long, though. They are a quick read. I mean, they That's are. Heard. Yeah. I mean, once you get into one, you really can't put it down. He's he's that kind of writer. Um, which I don't know if, if that's good necessarily, you know, it's a little, I mean, he's a much better writer than Dan Brown, but also like, you know, the feeling of reading a Dan Brown book where it's like, you know, you're just moving on to the next thing. The chapters are really short. Stephen King is a far more sophisticated writer, but it does sometimes have that similar, almost like fast food feel to it. Bingeable. Netflix. And I... I think Stephen King is a writer where you kind of have to take the bad with the good a little bit because there's always cringy parts to it. Yeah. There's ham-fisted stuff that's in there. There's jokes and pop culture references that make you roll your eyes. But obviously, the guy has figured something out. I have to say, and this feels very – I feel vulnerable saying this out loud – but I often really like authors that people think are terrible. <laughs> like I, I hear that Dan Brown thing. I haven't read a Dan Brown book in years, but when I did, like I was like, this is a great book. And the same thing with the Twilight books <laughs> afterwards. I was like, those were really good books. Sure. I read a lot though. I don't want to make it sound like I'm an idiot. Like I read a lot. <laughs> like I'm almost at 50 books this year. Like I read a lot, but. Carla, no one is disputing your literary bona fides. <laughs> but I often will be will like finish a book and be like, that was amazing. And somebody will be like, the, the writing was terrible. And I'll be like, I okay, I didn't notice. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess my point is I would probably love Stephen King. <laughs> I think you would, but do you have time to read some of his eight hundred, you know, thousand page right. books? My two favorites are The Stand and It, which might be his two longest as well. I think the full version of The Stand tops a thousand pages and so does it. I also don't l- love scary stuff, you know, in the way that I used to when I was younger. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I remember being a teenager and like reading Stephen King books until I fell asleep and then kind of like hiding under my sheet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like they, they really got to me. So I, I think that's something that he's tapped into is he just kind of understands instinctively what will scare people. You know, he, he really gets at our vulnerabilities. I mean, that's really what it is all about, right? Is mm-hmm. the, it's, that's the clown knows what will scare you. Right. And yeah, it does. Um, the recent it adaptation, I really thought part one was way better than part two. Part two kind of went off the rails, but I also think that Stephen King is partially responsible for that because that book kind of goes off the rails mm. as well. You, you were not into seeing the it remake. No, too scary. <laughs> I, I loved the it. Or the it, I loved it, the miniseries. Mm-hmm. So, like, once you've consumed something, why, and you're satisfied, <laughs> why, why double dip? Although we did with Carrie. Yeah, we saw the Carrie remake, which we'll get into in in a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, I will say, when you pitched Stephen King movies to do, I was like, I don't, I can't think of any I want to see. And then when we made the list, I was like, oh, I would watch. Probably six or seven of these. <laughs> so I realized that to pick. I realized that there's so many that I have never seen, and I kind of look at lists of the best film adaptations of Stephen King for years. I think prior, especially to Shawshank Redemption, uh, the conventional wisdom was that nobody had really made a good film off of a Stephen King book. But I mean, there's Carrie, there's The Shining, there's The Dead Zone, which is David Cronenberg, and that that was really well done as well. But there were also a lot. A lot of stinkers, but you know, Stephen King just kind of cranks out these books, you know, and they're not all of equal quality. Sure. Either. It's very prolific. He's very prolific. Um, and then some of the best adaptations are for things that aren't necessarily his horror work. So I mentioned Shawshank Redemption. There's Stand By Me. Uh, of course, The Green Mile. Um, what I, I kind of debated whether misery is horror. I don't know. Is it? I think it is. Yeah. It's a torture movie. <laughs> but then we'd have to do a whole trilogy of torture. No. <laughs> I wanted to watch Misery because I haven't seen it since I was probably 12 or 13. That's a good movie. That's Rob Reiner. I would, I would love to see that again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then there were things like Needful Things and The Dark Half that uh, some people were recommending. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Mist, which I've, I've never seen. I've never seen either adaptation of Pet Cemetery, and apparently the recent one was pretty good as well. So Yeah, our neighbor Jeff was like, you should watch that because it's really good. And I said, too late. We already watched our three Stephen Kings. <laughs> but I'm happy with the three we picked. I am too. I thought this was a really fun run of movies coming off the witches stuff. Which was, which is. The witches really shit the bed. <laughs> that was our fault, though. And Stephen King uh, delivered yeah. a little more for us. Well, let's get into uh, the first movie that we did, which is the remake of Carrie. And uh, let's also go chronologically through the movie with a segment that we like to call Carla's Quotes. She's feeling her oats and Craig's taking notes. Whatever they are, it's Carla's Quotes. I did the old intro for you, Carla. Just, Thank you. Just to 
because it confused me last time. <laughs> it's it's like nine in the morning. I feel like I'm slow. Do I sound slow? No, you don't. I feel like everything that I'm saying is in slow motion. <laughs> I'm drinking coffee though. I, uh, you've seen the original Carrie by Brian De Palma from 1976, right? I have. I know that I have, and yet I don't remember much of it. I know, but I know because I do remember specific things. I have seen it, and it's been a while. I also saw it way after it had come out, so it wasn't like a high school movie for me or anything like that. I don't know if it's a great movie. Um, I don't remember it well enough to know, but it's certainly an iconic movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, The performances by Sissy Spacek and Piper Laurie as her mother. Uh, John Travolta is in it before uh, Saturday Night Fever. Yeah. You know, Amy Irving, um, Betty Buckley is the gym teacher in it. So it's a, it's a great cast. I remember the, the opening shower scene is kind of particularly controversial because it's almost shot like softcore porn. Yeah. That's, I was, that's why I know that I've seen it. Cause I remember watching that and being like, dear Lord. It's very explicit. Yeah. Uh, and it's very De Palma too. And I it's, think. it feels, it almost feels like a slasher movie from the seventies with a bunch of naked girls running around. <laughs> but both Piper Laurie and Sissy Spacek got Oscar nominations for it. Right. So you it's know? a prestige film. It is in hindsight, a prestige movie. Yeah. And, and was a big hit. Um, so this remake came out in 2013 and the director is Kimberly Pierce. Uh, who's best known for Boys Don't Cry, which won Hilary Swank an Oscar for Best Actress in 1999. Mm-hmm. Kimberly Pierce has only directed three features in 21 years, which just seems wrong uh, because she's a really talented director. The second one was with Reese Witherspoon's ex-husband. <laughs> Ryan Phillippe? Yeah. Yeah. It was like he came back from war. Stop loss. Which yeah. I never saw. Yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, but she seemed to be a good fit for this material, I think. We were a little confused watching it of like, oh, have they made some changes from the original movie or from the novel? And in looking up the story in all three versions, it's pretty much the same plot points. So interesting because I don't remember so much of it. (laughs) And yeah, especially I don't remember the one of the popular girls being so nice, Mm -hmm. being so on her side. Yeah, it's the Amy Irving character in the De Palma movie, and it's all in the book as well. So they, it all kind of falls the exact same plot points. Though I would say if there was an advantage that Kimberly Pierce had, I feel like she just has a better feel for the dynamics of female relationships. Yeah. And so much of the movie kind of hinges on a mother-daughter relationship, a teacher-student relationship between women, the way that high school girls interact with each other. Mm-hmm. And that feels very well-informed and real Yeah, throughout this. Yeah. Uh, one of the writers was Roberto Aguirre Sarcasa, who is the showrunner for Riverdale and uh, Sabrina. Oh, really? And he's the head of Archie Comics. Oh, cool. As well. And I guess Riverdale did a whole Carrie parody episode. Oh, really? As well. So, um. I did see the first two seasons of Riverdale. I don't remember that, but I haven't watched it in a while. But the basic story is the same kind of shy, awkward teen girl with psychokinetic powers, uh, is tortured and tormented by her classmates. She has her first period. 
and doesn't understand what's happening. Girls throw tampons at her. She has a weird uh, religious mother uh, who doesn't want her to go on dates with boys or be exposed to anything. Uh, the girls try to make it make it up to Carrie. Well, they they pull a prank on her basically. They make yeah. her the homecoming queen and she destroys everybody at the prom with her psychic powers. After being spilled on with pig's blood. Pig's blood is a famous component of Carrie. You I mean, that's the reason she kills them all. <laughs> you can't just say they made her homecoming queen and she killed them all. <laughs> They're missing a big I'm covering the broad strokes. <laughs> You're saying if it's sheep's blood that she might not have reacted that way. It was specifically pig's blood. Uh. <laughs> uh. <laughs> but the opening scene of this, I think, is something that, that was not in the original movie that I I, I was going to say for sure that yeah. the opening scene wasn't. So it's a flashback to Carrie's birth, and it's Julianne Moore on a, in a bed by herself giving birth to the baby. It's and it's it's I don't want to use the word crazy anymore. It's surreal. <laughs> well, I did write who does crazy better than Julianne Moore. Right. Yeah. And she's done like many different shadings of, of it over her mm-hmm, years. Mm-hmm. Uh and so this baby kind of pops <laughs> It's head out and she grabs a pair of really huge and sharp scissors like she's going to kill this newborn. Yeah, they're like the sewing shears, the yeah. fabric shears. <laughs> and then uh, and then ultimately just she decides to to give birth anyway. It, it really shows how childbirth is the ultimate horror. Uh, <laughs> Carla said, that's a big baby. It was. It, it was, did not look like a newborn. That was a really big baby just to come out. <laughs> And then Carla said, can you imagine letting your baby do this scene? Don't worry. Julianne Moore is a really good actor. (laughs) (laughs) I can't imagine like signing my baby up for this. You know, you've worked with those stage parents in Hollywood, Carla. You've taught, you've taught teens and kids improv classes. You know, you know what they're like. They'll do anything. Yeah. Get my newborn in the movies. Julianne Moore is going to hold a pair of sharp shears. Right next to its eye. Right next to its eye. (laughs) Uh, it was fun to see Judy Greer in this movie. She plays the gym coach. It was, yeah. Uh, and, and I thought this movie was very well cast overall. So you have Julianne Moore as the mom, you have Chloe Grace Moritz as Carrie, Judy Greer, Ansel Elgort plays her prom date who is Baby Driver. Oh, Baby Driver. Yeah. He's super cute. And uh, Portia Doubleday is kind of the mean girl. I thought she was a good, like, high school villain. Yeah. Uh, so it's a very strong cast overall. And so it sounds like I'm praising the acting. I'm praising the direction. I just feel like this movie didn't make a compelling reason for its existence. Do you think it did? What are you talking about? We really liked it. <laughs> we did. We did. You definitely. even said, before we watched it, you were like, I enjoyed it more than the original. Yeah, I still don't know why the why the remake though, unless you're going to update it considerably. I think think that she did update it. Like you know, I do think that there was more care put into the female dynamics between the students, between the girls. I do think there were extra scenes with them. I guess what I'm thinking about is there's times in the movie where it hints at the idea of incorporating like new social media technology into the bullying. Mm -hmm. And there's only kind of like a a faint 
gesture at that. Like they're shooting the, the famous Hollywood scene on their phones, you know, and then they use that video later at the prom to kind of torment her. And there's a little bit of like creating a fake account for her online and, and stuff like that. I felt like maybe they could do more like that to update the bullying to the social media era. I would. Yeah. Okay. I felt like just them doing it was updating it. Okay. <laughs> and also like the the effects at the end, like when she's basically flying. I guess so. You can do more with the technology. Yeah. Now. Like this the stuff in the auditorium was really cool. It was. It was really satisfying. And we're allowed to spoil this because this is an old movie, right? When she blows up the car at the gas station, like all of that was really neat. Yeah. I thought. Okay. All right, you've convinced me. <laughs> oh, in the house, it falling in on her at the end. Yeah, you can do more with effects. Yeah. No. Yeah. I and I, I think this is maybe my bemusement at trying to do research for what horror movies to do this month, right? And really realizing that horror is the remakiest genre mm-hmm. and the sequeliest genre sure. as well. Yeah. And I think there is a little bit of a laziness and sloppiness about that. No matter how well made something is, it does feel like the same things are getting recycled again yeah. and again. I would say that this update for me is much more um What am I trying to say? The original is creepy. And this one I thought was scarier. Okay. Like, the mom in the original one is much creepier, I think, than Julianne Moore. And maybe that's because Julianne Moore is – she plays creepy people all the time. But, um, like, the religious stuff in the first one I thought was effective in the original. Um, and, like, that made more sense to me in the original. But in the updated one, like, Carrie's kind of – when she would react, it was more surprising to me. Okay. Yeah, I feel like Piper Laurie in the original is more like histrionic and intense. Mm-hmm. And Julianne Moore is more withdrawn. Like I really liked her choice to be like she's kind of whispery for most of it. She never really yeah. raises her voice. And she's also like doing this self-harm thing where she's like right. scratching like uh her leg until it bleeds and, and stuff like that. That one scene with the mom uh in the dry cleaner, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Uh was was really well done. I really liked Julianne Moore's choice. Yeah. Within this, you know, just yeah, knowing. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's more horrifying than creepy. I don't know. Yeah. Or like the opening scene where she holds the scissors to the baby's face. Like, that's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Carla said, oh, this is going to trigger me with all my high school trauma. <laughs> but we all have high school trauma, you know? Which is why it's probably such a successful story. Yeah, I mean, I got to tell you, I love the end of Let the Right One In. I love the end of Carrie and any version. And, you know, I was picked on more in middle school than in high school. But I think everybody can relate to that feeling of seeing all of your bullies die in horrible ways. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) It's always going to be satisfying, right? Carla also said of the girls in the movie, they actually look like teenagers, which is nice. In the original, they look like 20-year-old Playboy bunnies. <laughs> Most of them are, I think, in their early 20s when they did this, though Chloe Grace Moritz was 15. So, you know, having an actual teenage carry is nice. Yeah, the plug it up is uh, is pretty famous. Yeah. That's, that's something to chant, and that's, all, so in the, that's all in the Stephen King book. Uh, this movie got a 53 on Metacritic, which is not great. 
Uh, critics were not into this for whatever reason, but critics are also very protective of Brian De Palma <laughs> for whatever <Weird>. reason. <laughs> Carla's like, can you imagine walking around with somebody's period blood on you? Yeah, she like puts her hands all over people and then they spend the whole day with period blood on their... <sighs> like the teacher specifically like walks around with a period blood handprint on her skirt. Not ideal. I, Fashion faux pas, I'd say. I'm not... I I truly... Period blood doesn't gross me out. Truly, truly. It doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not one of those people who's like... Like, when I... This is so... You never thought you'd cover this on this podcast, did you? It's 9 o'clock in the morning. But, like, for sure, I would leak or whatever when I was <laughs> first getting my period. Like onto my pants or whatever. And uh-huh. like that was never the horrifying nightmare for me that it is in movies. Uh-huh. Like you would just go to the bathroom and clean yourself up and like whatever. However, <laughs> that's my period blood. Sure. The thought of having somebody else's period blood on my skirt and walking around with it is upsetting. <laughs> it's the same thing of your your own hair and your food versus somebody else's hair and your food. Yeah, exactly. Uh but period blood, like, people need to get over it. It's not a big deal. Okay, great. I'll make sure to tweet that. <laughs> um. <laughs> like, I'm so sick of seeing that scene. In, and that's not to say that all girls felt that didn't feel. Like, I'm sure girls, some girls were upset if they would. <laughs> uh, You've made yourself saying? perfectly clear, Carla. Period blood is not a big deal. Let's okay. normalize period blood. Great. That's always been a goal of this podcast, and we've stated it from the very Here beginning. Here we go. Uh, I do like to see where a little I kid... I think that's our t-shirt. We have not had a t-shirt yet. People have been asking about merch. <laughs> <laughs> Normalized period blood. Normalized would period you, blood, you, Craigslist podcast, spooky times. Would you buy that t-shirt? <laughs> For 20 bucks? Okay. How about, how about 10 bucks? I'll start a poll on Twitter. Would you buy... Would you buy a T-shirt that says "Normalized Period Blood" and then has the logo of Craigslist on the back? Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's get back to Carrie. So, <laughs> a little kid teases her and she makes him crash on his bike. And Carla said, "Nice, he deserved it." <laughs> <laughs> he was being a dick. Yeah. You know, like don't be mean to people in horror movies and then expect to not get hurt. <laughs> I- I like how she plays just her growing awareness of her powers in this. I feel yeah. like that's well well covered, too. I mean, she's a great actor. She is in the remake of Let the Right One In, the remake of Suspiria, the remake of Carrie, and the new animated version of The Addams Family. So she's made a career off of rebooting various yeah. horror franchises. Good for her. Girl, get it. Get all that money. <laughs> Carla said, I have that jean dress jumper. I do. I, I, yeah, I just wore it recently. It's from the eighties. And when Chris, the head mean girl gets kicked out of school, she says, this isn't over by a long shot. And Carla said, that's right. You're going to be dead by the end of this. (laughs) And she is. (laughs) Spoilers. Carla said, dear girl, that dear God, that little girl has some serious problems. Why did I say that? I don't know. You're talking about Carrie. I don't know. You have to write down the context. I don't always know the context of these quotes, but the people want the quotes. Just I'm sure, pure. but some of the quotes don't work without the context. 
Here's Carlisle Ansel Elgort. He is cute. I'd like him if I was in high school. Yeah, he's so cute. <laughs> I really like the scene where Judy Greer is kind of comforting her, and there's a shot of them in the mirror together, and they're both kind of dressed in identical colors, and their hair color is the same too, you know, and you really get the feeling of like, oh, she's more of a maternal figure to carry than the yeah. Julianne Moore figure is. And that, that's a very nice way of showing it through image. Yeah, I agree. I thought. Uh, Carla left during the pig slaughtering scene, which wasn't that graphic, but still traumatic if you don't want to see harm come to a animal. Right. Uh, probably a wise choice there. She locks her mom in with her psychic power so she can go to the prom. Carla said, I wish I had done that to my mother when I was a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> and here's, Car- here's Carla on the prom. Dancing is so much easier now than it was in any other time. It's just swaying. <laughs> and I think you mean like since disco or since yeah. maybe the early days of hip-hop really there's no dance that anybody's expected to know nope you just have to put your hands around the other person's neck or waist and then sway <laughs> now if you live in a more conservative like country area you might be expected to line dance really i think there there are like there's cultural pressure to line dance in certain parts of the I country. I think you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but agreed. Like with any other time in human history, social interactions have depended on everybody knowing the same dances, right? Yeah. In any Jane Austen movie or whatever, of like right. immediately there's a ballroom and everybody's doing the same thing. Like how the fuck do they all know how to do that? Little Women. Yes. Uh, but even like movies that take place in the 50s or whatever. Exactly. When did it switch from um, holding hands on your right side and so... Letting the man lead? Yeah. Uh, to just like throwing your arms around somebody's neck. <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems like at some point we all adopted the seventh grade manner of dancing. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it was just like, this is just easier. I mean, definitely if you watch disco dancing, there's definitely a lot more of the man leading. Right. As well. It must have been in the 80s. But there's still ballroom dance where the man leads, right? Yeah. I'm just talking about like a typical school dance. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Nobody's ballroom dancing in a high school prom. <laughs> Nobody's line dancing, Craig, at a high school prom. I mean, if they are, it's like the electric slide. And if it's 1992. Okay. All right. Carla's schooling me on period blood and line dancing today. <laughs> Let's normalize line dancing. <laughs> Carla's final thought on Carrie wrecking havoc at the prom. You messed with the wrong lady. <laughs> final thoughts on Carrie? Really enjoyed it. Yeah. I definitely enjoyed it. I would recommend it. Yeah, I think in looking up Stephen King movies, I was surprised that – I mean, I think this was just one critic. Somebody said that the remake was better than the Brian De Palma original, and so I was kind of compelled by that. I thought the cast was – uh, was interesting and yeah, I'm glad I saw it. It's, yeah. it's well done. It is well done. It's well done. Let's move on to 1980. The Shining. Right. The Shining, directed by Stanley Kubrick. Stanley Kubrick. An old favorite from Craigslist. This is one of the Stanley Kubrick films that did not make Craigslist, but, uh, it's, it's certainly a favorite of mine. Would be very close to making the, the top 100 for me. Uh, Stephen King kind of disavowed this version of his novel. 
I have a feeling that the sh- more has been written about The Shining in kind of philosophizing about possible meanings of it than maybe any movie ever. Really? And is that a feature or a bug of the movie that it's so open to interpretation? Uh, Is that a frustration or is that part of its charm? Mm -hmm. What what is it for you, Carla? I don't know. It seemed pretty straightforward. (laughs) Tell me the story of The Shining. (laughs) A guy is like, I need to write Mm -hmm. and I can't do it in the suburbs. So he gets this job looking after this hotel that closes down for the winter. Mm-hmm. And he brings his wife and young son okay. with him. Now, his young son happens to be some sort of empath or psychic. He's or got the shining. He's got the shining. And um, maybe there's like some alcoholic abusive behavior that this guy is kind of this husband and father is trying to work through. He's sober right now. And so that's kind of like the backstory. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, this hotel is is known for like having some gruesome murders. Previous caretaker a few years ago had killed his wife and daughters. And two daughters, yeah. Um. So yeah, so that's the story. And like it's basically about the guy going crazy, um, secluded from the rest of the world. And whether – I mean I guess this is the – interpretation part but whether that is because he's just like having a mental break or if it's because there's actual ghosts who are haunting him is kind of I guess what left ambiguous to, yeah what you have to decide for yourself well yeah so <laughs> <laughs> so you guys who made that documentary room 237 <laughs> trash it because carla has a more straightforward adaptation uh interpretation of, of to the me Shining. it's a haunted house movie it really is. Yeah, it's a haunted hotel movie. Yeah. And so that's what it is for me. But, you know. So it stars Jack Nicholson as Jack Torrance, Shelley Tavall as uh, as Wendy, his wife. And uh, Danny Lloyd, I think, is uh, plays. He's wonderful. He's so great. I mean, I, I don't think he ever acted again. Uh, but for he was a, like Stanley Kubrick was too much for me. <laughs> Kubrick may have traumatized him. Yeah, actually, it, it sounds like they took great pains to not traumatize the kid while shooting it. But traumatizing Shelley Duvall. Yeah, I think Shelley Duvall and Scatman Crothers were traumatized while making this movie. And what did Jack Nicholson ever say about it? Uh he has really praised Shelley Duvall's performance and said it was one of the bravest and most difficult performances of anybody that he's ever worked with in wow. his, his career. Um, and yeah, who knows, you know, t- the degree to which, I mean, I, Kubrick famous for doing take after take after take. And I, I guess both Shelley Duvall and, and Scatman Crothers were at their wits ends, you know, after having to do like a hundred takes of some of these scenes, you right. know. Uh, he's certainly not the only director to do that. David Fincher is kind of notorious for that right? as well, but he certainly got great performances out of everyone. I read an article cause like if you just kind of look at the headlines, it's like Shelley Duvall was traumatized making The Shining. But then if you actually read what she says about it, she says exactly what you just said, that it was just long grueling hours, but that she was really, and that, but there were times where she and Stanley Kubrick really got along. That's good. And that she was really proud of the performance and felt like it wouldn't have been as good of a movie if he hadn't pushed her. Yeah. 
I do feel like she doesn't get enough credit for... I think she's awesome in it. Yeah. I really do. I was reading a lo- um, some of the critiques of her performance saying that it was too shrill, but I thought it was really good. Yeah. The the character is frustrating at times, certainly, but she's... But she's also probably an abused wife. Yes. You know, and so, uh, yeah, it's not like she can just leave. She's stuck there yeah. and it's... About the degrees to which she has to accommodate her husband. Right. You know? And she's trying to make it work and she doesn't have a job. Like, I don't know. I think there's a lot of sympathy to be had for her character. Yeah. Is the sh- uh, How scary is The Shining for you? It's it's scary. Yeah. It didn't. It's not the kind that keeps me up at night. Mm-hmm. Or like if I wake up, I don't see the twins standing in the room with me or anything <laughs> like that. And I think Or the Moonlight Man from Gerald's Game. Well, that's something we need to talk about. We'll get about. to that. <laughs> um, but I think that's because it's been so parodied. It's out there in pop culture and has I mean, been for a and while. It's been used as the butt of a joke. You know, like, like how many sketch shows have I seen where they've dressed up like the twins from The Shining yeah, or whatever? Or here's Johnny. Yeah. So, like, there's just an element. When you watch the. When, when I. I can't remember if I've watched this from top to bottom before or not. I think I have. Like, if you'd asked me last week, I'd be like, yeah, I've seen The Shining. But watching it, I didn't remember a lot of it again. So I can't be sure. But when you sit down and watch it, it's scary. But it's it doesn't, like, it didn't stay with me in the way that some of the others have. I find it kind of, like, unrelentingly creepy and unsettling, which is not quite the same thing as scary for me. There are a few moments where there's, like, mild jumps or like really disturbing images. Yeah. But mostly it kind of takes that slow paced kind of stilted Kubrick tone mm-hmm. and use it just to create a a constant feeling of unease. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, it's possible you may have seen the shorter version of The Shining mm. because this was the – the version that is most commonly seen now is about two hours and 25 minutes. And that what was, sh- that's what was shown in theaters when it was released. He cut one scene. There's an epilogue of Danny in a hospital bed at the very end of the movie that he cut. And then I guess was destroyed and has never been seen again. Yikes. The movie also was kind of a flop when it came out and Kubrick kind of cut 25 minutes from it. So for years, there was more of a two-hour version, which was the most commonly seen. And it's possible that they're just scenes that you had not seen before because they're in the longer version. That makes sense. Neither one of which is considered the definitive director's cut because he oversaw both of them. Yeah. But also for the people who like analyze like every frame of The Shining for all the hidden meanings in it, you know. Yeah. Kubrick did not give it that much thought. (laughs) Certainly, it's not like a holy text that needs to be deciphered. But, Craig, people need a hobby sometimes. Well, I mean, that's what that documentary Room 237 is all about, you know. Uh, And the interesting thing about that is, like, you know, people are like, it's actually, it's a parable about, you know, Greek and Roman mythology. Oh, what do you do for a living? I'm a professor of Greek and Roman mythology. Right, <laughs> you, know? right. you see that, like, people see the thing that they want to see sure. in it, which is, is a good, I, I think Room 237 is worth seeing as just an analysis of how art works yeah. and how it's a collaboration between the original artist and us, the person the who encounters it. Filter it. I think it's too long. In I, any version? <laughs> or 
Or this version that we this watched. This version that I watched, I was like, it wasn't that I was bored because it's really interesting, but it certainly felt like it didn't, I don't know. There were definitely moments where I was like, all right, now what? <laughs> Some of the scenes that were cut include like the, the psychiatrist who comes to take a look at Danny early in the movie. Okay. I was fine with that. Because it feels like it sets up a little bit of the backstory of, yeah. of Jack's abuse. Right. Some of the stuff where they're showing him the hotel, the staff is showing him the hotel, uh, was cut. And definitely one scene that stood out to me. There's a scene where Scatman Crothers is flying back to the Overlook from Miami. And he's like, excuse me, stewardess, what time do we land in Denver? Oh, yeah. And she's like, nine o'clock. Thank you. <laughs> like, what's the purpose of that? Well, I, I do feel like... I mean, I get what you're saying, but that didn't bother me either because I liked the idea of how far he had to go to yes. try to help. Like, I thought that was really cool to, like, give us a sense of it's taking him this long to get there. It's almost like Kubrick's sick joke to have this whole parallel thing of Scatman Crothers, who you think is going to come in and be the deus ex machina to this and immediately gets killed when yeah, he gets there. Yeah, it's awful. Yeah. I have a huge problem with it. <laughs> Um, Killing the one black character in the movie? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just absurd. Uh, on top of that, though, I well, I guess like going – honestly, the, the the scene that I remember – I don't know why I say honestly. Of course I'm going to be honest. We'd expect nothing less, Carla. <laughs> the scene that I remember being like, this is so long, is the scene where he is having that fantasy of talking to the guy – the, yes. The other caretaker who's now like the bathroom attendant or whatever. Yeah. Like that scene goes on forever to the point where I'm like, this isn't even creepy anymore. Yeah. They also drop a few N words, which kind oh, of yeah, sticks sure. out as well as being totally unnecessary. Unnecessary. Yeah. And, yeah. Bizarre. Yeah. I think that's cut down a bit. And also him talking to the bartender is cut down a bit. As well. That could be, yeah. Great. So Carla has some some edits, some Kubrick notes. Estates. I've had some notes, Kubrick. <laughs> um, but all that stuff with uh, with Danny of like, you know, Tony is the little boy who lives in my mouth. Yeah, <laughs> you know? it's so crazy. And uh, I don't want to talk crazy. about... It's so upsetting. <laughs> <laughs> it's so crazy. It could be another good t-shirt. <laughs> it's so crazy. I don't want to talk about Tony anymore. Um. Tony, by the way, is the adult version of Danny who's communicating with his childhood self. Yes, that's who Tony is. Really? Yeah. So it's like that. I guess that's made clear in the book, and I think it's also made clear in Doctor Sleep, which is the sequel to Shining that both Stephen King wrote and then Mike Flanagan adapted a couple years ago. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. I wish I had known that or gotten that. You wish Kubrick had told you that? I wish Kubrick had told me that. Yeah. That's really cool. Shining is famously one of the first movies to use the steady cam and to really good effect. So those scenes of him kind of paddling around yeah. the hallways and the big wheel so like, iconic. are so great. Yeah. Like if I were to think of like ten scenes that are the most cinematic to me in movie history, that would be among them. Yeah. Because there's like several times where they just show him like turning corners, turning corners, turning corners, and it all sets up eventually when he turns the corner and boom, the twins are there. Yes. It's so creepy. Um, 
when uh when Scatman Crothers first meets the kid and he's like, What's up, Doc? Uh Carla's like, That kid's like, fuck off, dude. <laughs> There are theories that The Shining is about the genocide of Native Americans. Oh. Was it... Is there something that said where it was built on... White Man's Burden. Was it this movie where they're like, this was built on an Indian... Well, that's in the dialogue, yeah. 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 Cemetery or or Native American cemetery. I'm not saying there's no evidence that it's about the genocide of Native Americans. I'm saying it's it's an awfully flimsy premise. Uh, and then all, other people think that it's about how Kubrick faked the moon landing, and so he included all these clues in it. Like Danny's wearing an Apollo 11 sweater yeah, at one point. Silly. Right? Carlos said, it's always so sad when adults expect kids to be honest with them, and they're not honest with kids. Yeah. Well, they, they're always like asking him questions and want him to be real and tell them the truth. And then they immediately respond by telling a lie. Yeah. Well, I think that it's specifically that was off the Halloran scene where he's like, "What's in room two thirty seven and uh you know that Halloran knows more than he's letting on mm-hmm. to uh to the kid apparently the the exteriors for this were shot at the Timberline on Mount Hood in Oregon near Portland. The original hotel was in Estes Park, Colorado, where Stephen King stayed at, and that inspired him. The hotel that we see inside is all a set that was shot in England, but it's modeled after the Alwani in Yosemite National Park. Uh, I mean, it's just an incredible yeah. set. I mean, it'd be an incredible hotel lobby, but to know that they built that right. is, is even more insane. But apparently the Timberline, uh, the, in the book, it's room 217. Timberline had a room 217 and didn't want uh, to be associated with that. Right. So they asked for a fake room that they don't have to be used. Uh, but ever since then, people always request room 237. It's and so in hindsight, they were, that might have been better for business to keep a, to keep it the same room. I went to the Timberline, I guess a couple years ago when I was living in Portland and it was so busy. <laughs> right. What time of year? I think it was like maybe May, but it there was still snow on the ground up there. Um, and I don't think people, I don't think it was enough snow to ski, but it was just not what I was expecting. I was expecting it to be a little more eerie and it was totally crowded. And we, my friend and I had a beer at the bar and we were just like, this is cool, but it doesn't feel creepy at all. (laughs) (laughs) You wanted to be creeped out a little more. A little bit. This is kind of the quintessential crazy Jack performance. What do you think of Nicholson in, in this movie? I don't love it. I don't, but again, it's like, is that just because it's been parody, parodied so much? Yeah. And because like, I'm so familiar with his performance as the Joker and it feels very similar. I don't know. Um, I feel like the early scenes where he's doing his job interview, like who the fuck would hire this psycho? Like, right. He seems so out of it. He like already even seems then. a little, a little goofy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Um, like the scene where they're driving, maybe he seems the most normal, <laughs> like a normal person. Yeah. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's not, I, I don't love it. I don't love his performance. Here's a scene Did you where. Hear what I just said. I don't love his performance. <laughs> <laughs> I can multitask, Carla. I can listen to you while also looking at the next quote. Okay. Um, 
<laughs> Carla said, how fun would it be to live there for five months? And I'm like, I don't think Carla gets this movie. <laughs> if that's your takeaway. Well, I mean. You feel like you would get a lot of writing done. I would get a lot of writing done. <laughs> <laughs> that's what he thought. <laughs> You're going to kill me, Carla, if we, if we do this. You're going to kill me, Benny, and Frankie. <laughs> When he says, I would never hurt you ever, Carla said, yeah, right, you fucking creep. What a creepo. <laughs> Here's Carla and Danny. His sweaters are amazing. He's got some real good sweaters. <laughs> There's a Mickey Mouse one that's really cute. Carla just wants to be dressed like the kids in horror movies. <laughs> <laughs> and- there is the one moment where he he's maybe not totally gone. Like he gets his, you get a sense that he's freaked out a little bit because he says, "I had a dream. I killed you and Danny." And Carla said, "Jesus, don't tell her." Just so you know, if you ever said that to me, I'd immediately leave you. <laughs> I would. I'd be like, "Bye." Haven't you? I had- wouldn't even pack a bag. <laughs> I would just walk out the door. <laughs> Haven't you though had dreams that you killed me and told me that? <laughs> no. <laughs> Never. I've had I've had dreams where you were dead. <laughs> but I've never had a dream where I killed you. <laughs> and here's, uh, this is also on room 237. I love the color of that bathroom. And I wrote, apparently the shining is Carla's design aesthetic. <laughs> it is. <laughs> and then he comes back after this creepy ghost woman, you know, who drowned in the tub, you know. Uh, and Wendy he asks him, out with her. and he make, makes out with this beautiful nude woman who then turns into a creepy old hag. Yeah. And, uh, and Wendy asks, did you see anything? He's like, I didn't see anything at all. And Carla said, true gaslighting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you ever get a chance to watch the documentary film worker, it's about the guy who was Kubrick's personal yeah, assistant for a number of years. And it, it covers a lot of the makings of his movies. And he's a really interesting figure um (laughs) carla i can't believe there's still 45 minutes left this is way too long it's such a long movie (laughs) but it's not boring i don't want to say that it's just too long i've already said this moving on uh red rum still works really well for me (laughs) so good and then it does, you know, have, you know, a, a pretty good approximation of an action sequence for the last 20 minutes. Like, it, it, yeah. it is all pretty intense. And Carla was coaching Shelley Duvall the whole time. She's like, get it together, lady. Got to come up with a plan, lady. <laughs> <laughs> when Dick gets killed with the axe, Carla said, what's the point of even having that character? The hotel comes to life. Then there's the guy in the bear suit giving a guy a blowjob. Carla said, what the fuck is that? <laughs> That is the one that doesn't make the one shot of the whole thing where I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> well, I think for a lot of the interpreters, like, that's the key thing, you know, because it's so... I mean, it's really just to make make you feel crazy as the audience. <laughs> it's just like a rant. I'm, I'm 100% sure it's just a random shot. And he was like, what's the creepiest, weirdest thing that I can do to throw off the audience? Uh, apparently, it is something from the Stephen King book. Oh, really? Though, so, yes. That's supposed to be the owner of the hotel, I guess, who had just some kind of weird sexual proclivities. Okay, fine. Um, but I, I think it's effective for, like, it I mean, that's why... tension. King wanted everything explained more like it is in the book and Kubrick wanted to leave it more ambiguous. And I think that that works better for film. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And then when Danny's retracing his steps in the hedge maze, Carla said, smart, smart. You need to do it faster, though. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's always been here. He's been here since 1921. Yeah. The, the, the final couple shots of the film are a little silly <laughs> of that picture of him in the picture. Oh, I think it's cool. Really? Yeah, I like it. Again, maybe that's just because I feel like that's... I feel like it's been copied many yeah, times since so, then. So maybe I'm not being fair and yeah. giving credit to the originator of that. I mean, I wish I could have seen it in 1980 when it came out. You know, I, I think it probably blew people's minds. Yeah. So we, we covered two very well-known Stephen King uh, books, movies, uh, though the Carrie was, you know, the, the lesser known version. Uh, and then, so we're looking for a third. We talked about those other possibilities. Gerald's Game, somebody recommended us, right? Yeah. So let me, uh, it's Jeremy, uh, at Grizzly Jer. He had responded early on, um, like, hey, this is a, a good movie, a creepy movie or something like that. Yeah. And then I watched a trailer and I was like, oh yeah, I love this actress and, uh, this looks really good. And then I forgot about it and then you mentioned it. Yeah. So thank you, Grizzly Jer. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, here's the reasons where I picked it because we were, we're trying to think, of, come up with the right Stephen King movie. I also heavily thought about Doctor Sleep because it's also by Mike Flanagan, who made The Haunting of Hill House and Haunting of Blind Manor, which we just finished watching. He uses a lot of the same actors and all the things that we do, and we've generally liked those TV shows. Right. Uh, Gerald's Game is much longer. I also, or, or, I mean, uh, Doctor Sleep is much longer. Also, I, I figured after spending that much time in the world of The Shining, you don't need to spend another two and a half hours. Right. Right. In that world. I do want to see Dr. Sleep, but it'll be <clears throat> off mic. <laughs> <laughs> so Gerald's game is, is relatively efficient. It's got a strong female lead, mm-hmm. you know, Carla Gugino. Uh, and I, I guess I didn't think as much about how many ways this would trigger some of your fears. <laughs> this was one of the scariest ones that we've seen for me. And I don't think that that would be true for a lot of people. Uh, this is a fairly recent film. Are we spoiling this one? Well, the book is about 30 years old. Okay. So maybe don't listen to this segment if you don't want it to get spoiled. Yeah, I think we will spoil it. Um, maybe we won't get into exactly how she gets out of her situation. Okay. But I think we need to spoil the very end of the movie because I think it's kind of that Stephen King, you got to take the bad with the good. Right. Uh, mentality because there definitely there's a coda to this movie that definitely made Carla go what the fuck yeah. just happened yeah so here's the premise of the movie uh, a married couple are going to this isolated lake house for a romantic getaway uh the husband's played by Bruce Greenwood great actor uh Carla Gugino is his kind of younger wife um he takes some Viagra to get ready for their uh, sexual congress. He handcuffs her to the bed. They're going to do some kinky role playing. Uh, and then he dies and has a heart attack. And she's still handcuffed to the she's bed. She's handcuffed to the bed. She's stuck there. She has earlier fed a stray dog with some Kobe beef steaks. <laughs> this dog comes back, starts feeding on her husband's dead body, and she starts hallucinating a version of herself and a version of Gerald that are kind of giving her... They're con- like the angel and the de- the devil on her shoulders. Yeah, they're giving her conflicting advice on how to deal with her situation. So it's really mostly kind of a one-woman movie of uh, of this character 
stuck to the bed and just like, how is she going to get out of this? Yeah. So the fear, the scary parts come from kind of the psychological, like the hallucinations that she's having. And she flashes back to a younger version of herself. And she was uh, sexually abused by her dad, who's played by Henry Thomas, uh, who also shows up in a lot of Mike Flanagan Mm -hmm. work. Uh, That's very disturbing as well. But uh, it's really a great performance by Carla Gugino. I thought so, too. I thought so, too. (laughs) The... 1992 novel by Stephen King was considered unfilmable. Uh, and I guess because it's, it all takes place in her head. And I guess she imagined all, all these different characters, none of which show up in this version of it. So I guess Mike Flanagan's script kind of simplified who she's interacting with and okay. her hallucinations. Um, early on when they're just kind of like in the car, uh, he kind of like reaches over to hold her hand. She kind of shoves him away a bit. And Carla said, she don't like him. <laughs> she, when she's luring the dog with raw meat, I have a feeling it's not a good idea that she's doing this. And Oh, you're right, Carla. That dog does come back with a vengeance. Uh, and when they, they come back in from the, the porch to, you know, get in bed, they leave the door open or they leave the gate open. Right. And Carla said, Oh no, shut that door. Now that dog's going to try to eat you. <laughs> When he dies and falls on top of her, my God, what a fucking nightmare. I can't even imagine. I promise to never do that to you, Carla. Thank you. I'll die in the other room. (laughs) (laughs) And then once the premise is like up and running, Carla said, oh, no. I mean, I know I knew what this was about, but it's pretty awful. (laughs) Carla said, yeah, we're never doing that. Don't get any ideas. On the dog, that Kobe beef's not going to be the best meat he ever ate. He's going to eat some prime human meat, Viagra. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, got some Cujo on our hands. And it's even called out like they call the dog Cujo as a little nod to Stephen King. Uh, (laughs) When the dog starts biting into Bruce Greenwood, sick. It looks like pizza he's eating. Would Frankie do that to my dead body, do you think? And she's holding Frankie, our dog, at this moment. (laughs) Yes, you would, wouldn't you? (laughs) Just so you know, Frankie is a five-pound chihuahua (laughs) with no teeth. (laughs) (laughs) Benny might eat our dead bodies. Frankie, even if she wanted to, never could. She'd gnaw. She'd gnaw a, a little bit. Uh. But I think just like that thriller element of somebody in a precarious position and having to use like all their wits to come up with solutions to this, like the way she figures out how to get a drink out of uh, that glass of water yeah. that's on the shelf above her head. It's really fun. Uh, and then she start, and then Lurch shows up. Um, the actor who played Lurch in the Adams family. <laughs> no, it's literally Lurch from the Adams family, and he says, "You rang." <laughs> That actor is uh, Carol Strykin, uh, and he actually is a giant, uh, and he, he's he been around for many years. Here's some of the roles that he's played on IMDb. The Brute, a big, ugly Polynesian fellow, the Titan, Gregor the Giant, the Monster, Fidel from The Witches of Eastwick. Do you remember he's yeah. Jack Nicholson's assistant yeah, in that? Yeah. The Giant from Twin Peaks, uh, Lurch, Giant Demon, Strange Man. Wow. I mean, he's got health insurance through SAG. He definitely does. (laughs) 
And I, I can, you know, admire his career because we're rarely, rarely up for the same parts. We're not competitive <laughs> with each other at all. Uh, so he's kind of like this weird figure who starts showing up in her hallucinations and she calls him the Moonlight Man. And he's got like this case of like stolen jewelry that he shows her. Yeah. Um, and believe it or not, that does pay off. Well, does it pay off? It's explained right. later at, at the end. Carla said, this is terrifying. I can't do this. This is my nightmare being stuck and a ghost getting in your face. Yeah. So this is the, yeah, I have a, a big imagination. And so in the middle of the night, and I've been sick lately with asthma. So I've been up at night. I'm okay, everybody. It's not COVID. Uh, I've been getting up a lot at night and like, this is the this is the thing that's scaring me the most this month is this image of the moonlight man standing in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> and sucking on her feet. <laughs> it's it's really well done in the movie because you see she in the middle of the night she sees the image of the moonlight man licking her feet and then it cuts to the actual dog licking her feet. Yeah. Which is also Terrifying. pretty creepy. Yeah. Yeah. When, here's Carla and Henry Thomas. Oh, no. Is he an abusive dad? But I like him. I don't want him to be an abusive dad. And he is. And he is, unfortunately. But Henry Thomas has really had like a career revival over the last few years and is just has great range. Is just really a wonderful yeah. actor. I agree. But this is a, always a very difficult performance to have to, to pull off something like this. I'm sorry that my phone keeps going off. I can't figure out how to turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody can hear it, Carla, except me. Okay. And I'm tolerating it. Okay. I apologize. Carla said nobody wants to see Elliot do that. Yeah. Uh, and this is on the, the Moonlight Man Hill. They say, uh, or I think this is the imagined version of the Bruce Greenwood character. Gerald is his name. I was like, what is his name, by the way? The movie is called Gerald's Game. Uh, he says he'll have your wedding ring in his case. Carla said, nope. This is so scary. I hate it. <laughs> She finally gets her cell phone with her foot. Carla said, if it's dead, I'm going to cry. Uh, and then she, I think I don't want to spoil how she gets out of the handcuffs. I don't, we shouldn't. Because it's pretty remarkable. And Yeah, we don't need to talk okay. about it. Let's not talk about it. it don't it, talk about it. It's fucking Stop intense. It. It's Stop intense. It. Stop it. <laughs> but then after she gets out, you know, she's losing blood. Uh, she's trying to drive while passing out. Carla said, oh, no. Oh, no. Give her a break. <laughs> If this ends with her dying, I'm not going to be happy. And then finally she crashes into a tree and you see kind of people in the distance that are going to rescue her. And Carla said, going to be a family of cannibals. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre yes. family. That would be out of the frying pan into the fire. But no, she she seems to be okay. Uh, let's not spoil the ending. Okay. The reveal. Okay. The reveal of the Moonlight Man. Yeah. Uh Let's just say that this director, writer-director, has a tendency to have really um, well-done horror drama movies. And then in the last few minutes of his stories, has these really long epilogues that... With lots of VO. With lots of VO and lots of music that it's like, now that I've seen three things that he's done... I can officially say that this is his his trademark, I guess. And I don't – I like everything about all the stuff he does except for the last few minutes of all of his movies. Yeah. Fair enough. 
Like the epilogues are just unnecessary. For Blind me. Manor was the most egregious version of that. Yeah. Certainly. Uh, this, I mean, he was kind of compelled by the actual ending of the Stephen King book. Okay. I, I mean, think. that's fair. But, but how it's handled, you know, you can certainly quibble about, right? Well, yeah. And also just that it seems to be something that he does. Yes. A lot. A long voiceover to explain everything is not always the best way of wrapping up your story, right? right. Here's something I do think about about Stephen King. Uh, is I think he wants good to triumph over evil in the end, and it usually does in in his books in some way. Yeah. Uh, and and so that's why why I feel like he's not a bummer and he's not nihilistic. You right. know, sometimes horrible horrible things happen to his characters, but usually good prevails in the end. And maybe that's why he's so effective and successful as a writer. I think. I like that too. I, well, that's why I, I I think you should read maybe more of him because I know that you like that. And having now seen 21 horror or horror adjacent movies, we've seen ones that end on bummers and we've seen ones that end with some sense of triumph. And it it's a little better to have the happy ending, isn't it? I think so. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yes. What was I going to say? Oh, yeah. The thing that I do like about Mike Flanagan is that all of his ghost stories are, aren't just unexplainable ghosts. Like all of them are rooted in some sort of trauma that the humans have had, hmm. you know, the human beings in his stories have had. And I think that that's a really interesting way to tell a ghost story. Um, and like in blot, is it? Bly Manor. Bly Manor, the most recent one. There's a line at the end where it's like, it's, oh, it's not just a ghost story. It's a love story. And I feel like all of his movies and stories that I've seen so far. Yeah. We are, considered, which I really like. We considered doing Hill House and or Bly Manor for this podcast, but we felt like they're too recent and we would have to get into plot points about them and we'd rather let you have the pleasure of, of watching them. Yeah. I loved Hill House. Hill House is a flat out A for me. me Blind too. Manor maybe more of a B plus. Yeah. A disappointing ending, but a good ride. Yeah, I agree. Speaking of letter grades, what would you give the remake of Carrie? Um a B plus. I think it's a B plus for me too. Okay. How about the shining? Um B plus. It's an A for me. <laughs> <laughs> and how about Gerald's game? A minus. I give it a B plus. Okay. All right. So, <laughs> fuck you, witches. We, <laughs> we like we like these Stephen King movies. We need to do a do-over for witches. <laughs> do we have time in the ten days left in this month to no. do a, another trilogy of witch movies? We have it mapped out. You want to do a little khaki theater? Sure. Okay. Famously, at the end of Brian De Palma's Carrie, we see Carrie's hand rising from the grave, but then maybe it's revealed to just be Amy Irving's dream. In this version of Carrie, uh, that, that same character is visiting Carrie's grave. There's some graffiti on it, but we hear maybe the sound of her trying to claw her way out. You know, I think Carrie does escape from her grave, as a matter of fact. Okay. But also she hasn't graduated yet. So I think she's got to go back to high school. Okay. And I think it's awkward, right? She killed most, <laughs> most of everyone. <laughs> uh, so this is Carrie back in high school with her new lab partner. Am I Carrie? Yes. Okay. 
Hey, you're uh, you're Carrie, right? What? Uh, maybe. I know you're Carrie. I'm Brendan. Uh, we we're gonna work together. And can you stop looking at me? Sorry, sorry. Yeah. Um. Uh. So we. I guess we gotta cut open this fetal pig. Um. Okay. You don't have a thing about pig's blood, do you? Uh, uh, Oh no! Oh no! No, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Look, I I was at prom last year. By the way, I'm one of the people who got out. Dang it! Before you, darn it! Well, before you locked the doors. God, I killed all of you. Well, you killed a lot of people. Certainly, you killed my date. Who was your date? Um, Allison Porter. I don't remember. You don't even know who she I, was? No, I was just killing randomly. Okay. You got to make an incision right right there. I'm not I don't need I don't need a tool to do it. Okay, you're going to do it with your mind? Yes. I don't know if we're going to get credit for that. Wow. Okay. Okay, that's too many incisions in that pig. That's a lot of pig's blood. That's a lot of pig's blood. Don't 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 cry. Look. Um, don't take a picture. <laughs> Don't take a picture. Look, I'm I'm not going to take a picture, okay? Do you need any tutoring for AP Calc or anything? Why are you being so nice to me? Because I'm a nice guy. Like, I I want to graduate high school just like you do. I don't believe you. Nobody's just a nice guy. They always want something more. Is it because you can smell me? Uh... I mean, you probably do need to bathe eventually. Are you attracted to my scent? I mean, I understand that you just came out of the grave. and My mother always says that men just smell the women and it makes them rabid like dogs. Okay, time's up, everyone. Let's take a look at your fetal pigs. Okay, you want to show it to the teacher? Okay. All right, uh, Carrie and uh, Brendan. Let's see. Uh, let's see what you did. Oh dear God! Oh dear God! Oh. Okay, I'm supposed to be nice. I'm supposed to be nice. Uh, B plus. B plus. <laughs> <laughs> Carla, that was a really good carry. Was it? Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Craig. I mean, to me, that was the definitive portrayal of, of that character. I mean, it felt good. Carla, we enjoyed the work of Carol Stryken so much as the Moonlight Man in Gerald's Game that we decided to uh, embrace his uh, filmography a little deeper. Great. <laughs> and so our next two movies, we're going to do a twofer rather than a threefer, are The Adams Family and Adams Family Values. Yep. Why have we picked these? (laughs) (laughs) Because I loved them when I was a kid and I didn't remember what they were like. These are not horror movies necessarily. They're Halloween movies. But the Addams Family is an icon. They're iconic figures in in Halloween, right? Yeah. And this isn't just a horror movie run. This is a spooky time. Okay. We're doing Halloween movies, which might encompass a lot of different things. Doesn't spooky times uh, count for like an Addams household let it be known right now that i find the adams family spooky yes and let's normalize period blood (laughs) we'll see you next time the list is an absolute good the list is life